I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Tuesday, May 3rd, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Brett, we are recording this on Monday. Tonight, the Leafs start their charge towards the Stanley Cup, and I guess hope springs eternal. Are you excited for this series? And do you still have a prediction that the Leafs will win the Stanley Cup? So it's my favorite time of the year. I love the NHL playoffs. The Toronto Maple Leafs are the greatest franchise in hockey history. And I think that they have a great shot at the Stanley Cup. The Tampa Bay Lightning, they've won twice already. They've got nothing to play for anymore. The team is a shell of its former self. And I think when Austin Matthews is on, when Mitch Marner is on, you can't beat him. So I I have high confidence in the Toronto Maple Leafs this year. And so I stand by my prediction, Jay. You know what the hardest part of the NHL playoffs are? This is a joke I'm not going to like. You're probably not going to like it. I was going to say the first round. But Brett, you, <laughs> you are from Etobicoke, and there is someone from Etobicoke on the Lightning, Anthony Sorelli. Are you a big fan? He graduated from high school. It looks like, I don't know, well after you. He's like, well, I don't know the answer to that, but somewhere near Etobicoke. But I think he also played junior hockey for a whole lot. There's, Sorry. there's many high schools. There's many high schools there. I, no, you know who I am? You know who I am? I'm proud of the president of hockey operations of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Brendan Shanahan, who is an alumni of my alma mater, Michael Power St. Joseph. Well, congratulations. It's going to be, a, <laughs> we're going to put Anthony Sorelli up against uh, Brendan Shanahan for uh, the Etobicoke Award. Brett, aside from NHL hockey playoffs kicking off tonight, as we record this tonight, what do we have for Peak Bells? For our first story, creepy apps. For our second story, human rights news. And for our third story, battery builders. For our first story, it turns out the majority of mental health and prayer apps are pretty creepy. They are tracking, sharing, and capitalizing on their users' most intimate personal thoughts and feelings. Brett, this sounds pretty uh, weird. <laughs> what is going on? You, you take for granted, we put so many apps on our phones that we don't even realize we have on anymore. And this feels like some of those. So per The Verge, a new analysis from researchers at Mozilla shows that as a category, as a whole category, mental health and prayer apps have some of the worst privacy protections, despite collecting large amounts of sensitive personal data tied to your mood, mental state, and biometric data. After analyzing 32 apps, the Mozilla team found 29 were given a, quote, privacy not included warning label raising concerns about user data management most apps also had poor security practices letting users create accounts with weak passwords despite containing personal information and according to mozilla the worst apps for privacy so this is this is the worst list take note are better help youper wobot this gets crazy better stop suicide pray.com and talkspace ai chatbot wobot for instance collects user information from third parties and therapy provider Talkspace collects session transcripts so that like it, it tracks everything you're saying. And so Jay, I, your privacy is top of mind for a lot of people these days, including the peak pals. So why does the lax privacy on these apps matter? Well, self-reported levels of anxiety and depression in Canada peaked at 27% and 17% respectively last summer. But in person, traditional mental health care can be hard or expensive to find. Now, technology can fill the gaps, but increased access may come with a steep privacy trade-off, as Mozilla found out. For our second story, Canadian conglomerate Thomson Reuters is launching an independent assessment into, quote-unquote, the human rights impacts of its investigative and research solutions 
in order to align itself with the UN's guiding principles on business and human rights. So, Jay, I, I didn't journalists get in trouble often for violating human rights laws. Well, I was thinking the same thing. Why is this news fire service doing this? But here's some context to hopefully help. Reuters News is but one of three divisions of Thomson Reuters, along with legal and tax and accounting that make up dozens of different services and countless global government contracts. For example, the Canadian government opened three new contracts with the company just this year for quote-unquote information products. It's pretty big, but it shows you that Thomson Reuters, they have a bunch of different products where they incorporate their news and research into different things. And one of their products, Reuters Clear, C-L-E-A-R, investigation software, was scrutinized for its use by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, also known as ICE. Now, Clear collects data points from cell phone records, license plate recognition, and other publicly available information, which is then analyzed by in-house analysts. And here's the problem. ICE is primarily tasked with what it calls enforcement and removal operations. So it's the location, detention, and deportation of undocumented immigrants who have already successfully crossed the border and are living in the U.S. Originally, it was intended to find criminals, but under President Trump, they expanded the organization to then go after anybody who was undocumented. The ACLU has accused ICE of a number of civil liberties violations, and the department was heavily beefed up in the past few years. So they're a bit controversial, to say the least. That's really to say the least. What's interesting is that shareholder activism was a driving factor in the Reuters' latest announcement to act within the UN's guiding principles. The British Columbia General Employees Union, which is a minority stakeholder, submitted proposals highlighting privacy and human rights violations committed by ICE over the past three years and suggested that Thomson Reuters adopt the UN's guiding principles. And this is kind of why it all matters. So what's interesting is that, you know, one, this was led by shareholder activism. There was a pension fund that was a major shareholder, didn't like what the company was doing. And so they pushed for the company to then adopt these principles. And the assessment could change the way that one of Canada's largest companies operates. And like I said, it was all to do with the shareholder activism. So kind of a, a bunch of themes to tie in there. And for our final story, Stellantis, which is the world's sixth largest automaker and includes brands like Chrysler and Jeep, will announce a new $2.54 billion deal to revamp existing plants in Southern Ontario for the production of electric vehicles. I feel like we're always talking EVs, Brett. What's the latest news from Southern Ontario as it relates to EVs? Yes, the deal to which the Ontario government will contribute up to $380.8 million dollars includes plants to upgrade a Windsor plant to a quote-unquote flexible assembly line that will see the facility produce EV alongside hybrid and gas vehicles. Money is also earmarked for equipment upgrades for Stellantis facilities in Brampton and yes, Jay, my hometown, Etobicoke. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back to Etobicoke. This actually marks Stellantis' second major EV investment in Ontario this year. Back in March, in partnership with LG, they announced plans for a $5 billion EV battery plant in Windsor. And when we say we talk about EVs all the time, it's because there's been a flurry of EV and hybrid developments largely located in Southern Ontario, including GM's announcement of the creation of Canada's first all-EV assembly plant in Ingersoll. Honda's plan to spend $1.4 billion converting Canadian facilities to hybrid production. Auto parts maker Magna's $50 million plan to, for producing EV parts in Chatham. And that brings us to why it all matters, Brett. The Canadian government has big ambitions for EVs as part of its net zero by 2050 goals. They want 20% of all new light-duty vehicles offered for sale by 2026 to be battery-powered and 100% of those vehicles by 2035. And as more and more EV plants crop up in our own backyard, these numbers may have once sounded like high fantasy, are closer to becoming an EV 
reality. And, and Jay, the thousands and tens of thousands of new manufacturing jobs these create in, in Southern Ontario and these manufacturing areas, it doesn't hurt either. As goes Etobicoke, so goes the country. Thanks for making us the most listened to. And only. Daily Canadian Business News Podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Pete, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together the episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, this one's for you. Go Leafs. Go Leafs, go.